What I'd like to talk about this evening is the area of shadows and light. The word spirituality has become one of those words in our vocabulary which I feel has been overused and misunderstood. Almost the very word spirituality or spirit from coming from the religious backgrounds, cultural backgrounds that we come from, seems to represent something other, something apart from the world, from matter, from form, from our day-to-day relationships and all that they involve. And I think it is very easy to associate the word spirituality with something lofty, something religious, somehow a kind of otherworldly type of image or experience. And all those images and associations, of course, do mean that we conceive of our own spiritual journeys as something apart from our lives, from our day-to-day lives, our day-to-day encounters. Sometimes spirituality is perceived as a kind of additional dimension to our lives that we explore in particular places, in particular times, and um, in particular environments. To me, this is a very grave error and a very grave separation to make. Our spiritual journeys, our spiritual growth, can never ever be apart from anything. Rather, our own journey, our spiritual journey, is much more a quest for a way of being and a way of seeing, and a way of being present in our worlds and in ourselves, where there's clarity, freedom, compassion, and our journey is about how to, dis- how to discover this amidst the extremes, amidst the sorrows and the joys of our life experience. Surely a spiritual journey is a quest for liberation, for fulfillment, for transformation that will not remain isolated then within the boundaries of some particular experience or environment but that will instead permeate all of our life activities and experiences. This journey is about discovering what is possible for us and how to bring that to fruition. It's about discovering what it really does mean to live as a free, as a compassionate, as a generous, as an awake human being and how to live in the spirit of all of that in every area of our lives. Now, when our journey is undertaken in that spirit, it is a journey that is truly radical. It asks an enormous courage and immense honesty to explore and question the depths of our own being. 
And the questions that we're invited to ask in this path are very crucial questions. How free do we feel in our lives, in ourselves? Do we engage in separation, in division? Do we find in our lives that we are at times willing to settle for less than what is actually possible for us? Are we truly willing to let go of pleasure, of security, of gratification? Are we truly willing to explore aloneness, to explore a way of being in which we depend upon no props? Do we love freedom, integrity, and dignity above all else, more than anything else in our lives? Our journey is not just an inner questioning. It asks of us the same courage and the same honesty in exploring not only our inner relationships, but our relationships with the world around us. Do we really live in the spirit of freedom, live in a way in which we refuse to consent to anything at all that furthers exploitation, furthers division, or furthers conflict. What is the nature of our relationships to other people, to our work, to possessions, to the pain in the world around us? Are we in our lives consciously nurturing wisdom, compassion? Nurturing generosity and the love that is possible for us? It is not helpful in any way to undertake this journey in a particularly ambitious way. We are not called upon to be missionaries, to be judges, or to be watchdogs all over ourselves or over others. We are certainly not called upon to be righteous or to promote some particular path of conversion. A different kind of commitment is asked of us. A gentle, but yet a determined commitment to everything that is true, to everything that is genuine, to everything that truly enhances and fosters the spirit and the freedom and the dignity of all life. We are asked to bring that great sensitivity, and yet that very simple sensitivity, to our smallest interactions, to the simplest things that we engage in. Because these very ordinary, very small and very simple contacts and interactions are really the fertile ground of transformation. In this journey, we're not necessarily asked to go out and plant and care for a great forest, but we are asked to look at what kind of impeccability we can actually bring to planting and caring for just one tree. The simple, the ordinary, the openness that we can bring to listening, to seeing, to being present, the sensitivity we can bring to being with the difficult, 
the challenging. The appreciation and gratitude and joy that we can bring to being with the happy, the innocent, the open. All of this is where our journey both begins and it ends. We are certainly not required in this exploration to flee to a monastery, to become an expert in the sutras, or, you know, accumulate some great meditation credentials. But what is really, is required of us is a genuine dedication to freedom, a genuine dedication to the end of suffering. Any journey in our lives, outwardly or inwardly, that leads to greater freedom, that does lead to integrity and dignity, that journey will always entail an exploration of both shadows and light. It is an exploration of understanding really how to bring light to shadows, how to dispel darkness, how to dispel division and separation. And the light that we speak about in meditation is not something that we project into the future as a reward for suffering or as a reward for zealousness or as a reward for overcoming shadows. The light we speak about is in the moments of understanding shadows. What are the shadows that we talk about in this path? Of the past, and they are of the present. And when they are not understood, they also become the shadows of the future, because we see this continuity between past and present and future, and how one dimension is carried into another. Our shadows are our memories and our experiences of pain that in different ways undermine our own sense of integrity and possibility. Memories and experiences of pain that create a wounded sense of vision of who we are, that lead us in different ways to doubt or to negate ourselves experience of pain that can come from other people, that can come from the world around us, through being hurt, through being rejected, through being exploited, or through being abused. Shadows come from our own pain, our own fears, our inner experiences of failure, our inner experiences of fear, of comparison, of self-denial. These memories, these experiences, very easily in our lives, they become reference points for us. I become what I believe myself to be. Reference points are points, ways of seeing, which are frozen and which are static. And because they are frozen and static, They don't really allow for change to take place. They don't really allow for possibilities to be explored. Those reference points easily become 
our personal portfolios of truth. Our personal portfolios of truths about ourselves. I am what I believe myself to be. To read you a story that some of you know already about the golden eagle. A man once found an eagle's egg and put it in the nest of a backyard hen. And the eaglet hatched with the brood of chicks and grew up with them. All his life, the eagle did what the backyard chickens did, thinking he was a backyard chicken. He scratched the earth for worms and insects. He clucked and cackled. And he would thrash his wings and fly a few feet into the air. Years passed and the eagle grew very old. And one day he saw a magnificent bird far above him in the cloudless sky. It glided in graceful majesty amongst the powerful wind currents with scarcely a beat of its strong golden wings. The old eagle looked up in awe. Who's that, he asked. That's the eagle, the king of the birds, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth. We're chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, for that's what he thought he was. Now, I'm sure that, you know, it would be, you know, rather preferable if that story had a happier ending. (laughs) You know, if the eagle looked up and had this sudden moment of awakening and realized (laughs) that he, too, was an eagle and flew away into the sunshine. It would no doubt be more satisfying for us. However, it is true that we live according to our beliefs and that the shadows from the past easily become our present shadows. A shadow is anything at all that limits our own sense of possibility It limits our own sense of freedom and authenticity. Who we are now does have much to do with who we used to be. Who we believe ourselves to be now shapes our experience of our world and of ourselves and conditions this moment. Who we believe ourselves to be conditions this moment in our life what we believe to be possible for us is directly related to who we believe ourselves to be. We see our shadows in the present in the ways that they manifest in terms of fear and self-doubt, in the form of limited self-images, in the need at times that some people find to prove themselves, or in the fear of disapproval and rejection. We see shadows in the present when we find ourselves lost in dependency or in passivity or in the opposite extremes of those qualities in overcompensating, in proving ourselves. All of these reference points that we carry within ourselves are constantly conditioning our relationships both outwardly and inwardly and what we do believe to be possible for us. 
if we believe ourselves to be inadequate, our lives are really very unlikely to feature great achievements and great fulfillments. If we believe ourselves to be fearful, overly vulnerable, it may be that we find it extremely difficult to engage in any kind of trusting relationships. If we find ourselves in the habit of self-doubt, of believing in limitation, it is highly likely that we're going to find far more boundaries in our lives than horizons. We are aware of shadows in ourselves. We look at them. We look at the way in which they repeat themselves. And different responses offer themselves to us. There are different ways of responding to these experiences. We can be filled with anger and with blame. We can try and trace the fault, whose fault it is. We may rage against the world or against the past. Or we may direct that rage inwardly. That it is all my fault. I experienced this limitation. If only I'd been different, if only I'd tried harder, if only I'd reached further, I wouldn't experience limitation. We may encounter the response of resignation and passivity, that really it's all hopeless, that nothing can ever change. We may turn into a warrior and make a mission out of pursuing perfection and excellence. We may take a more English approach where we just kind of ignore them and think that appearances are what is all important. <laughs> or we can also look anew. We know these responses and we know where they take us. We know these responses really just don't bring freedom. What are the other possibilities are available to us? Can we look afresh at really what this journey asks of us? What it means to be free? To be free is to beyond, be beyond the boundaries of conditioning and limitation. To know what it means to rest in an unshakable trust in our own being, our own wisdom, our own understanding. Sometimes when we look at the ways in which shadows can permeate our lives, the ways in which they can bring such unhappiness and limitation, at times we feel this is not possible. That it is not possible for us ever to be beyond the boundaries of conditioning. We may feel that, you know, we have to work so hard to get rid of the past, to work things out. Or we may become filled with ideals of perfection and make a tyrant out of them. The essence of the spiritual path tells us none of this is necessary. None of this is necessary. We don't have to untangle the past. We don't have to work things out. We don't have to focus on becoming. And we don't have to make a mission of perfection. That there is some other way of being. 
in this journey. What this path actually offers to us is an invitation to re-envision ourselves, to open to a greatness of possibilities, to look to this moment, to look to who we are in this moment, and to really understand that this is actually the key to freedom. Beliefs are institutions. Whether those beliefs are about the world or whether they're about ourselves. Images, descriptions, stereotypes, these are all institutions. And institutions are lifeless. They actually hold and offer no freedom at all. Institutions are created and they are constructed. They're always supported by belief systems, conditioned by belief systems, and they can end. Re-envisioning ourselves is not about wishful thinking, about who we would like to be, who it would ni be nice to be, you know, what kind of person we would like to become. Re-envisioning ourselves is based upon wisdom and upon experience. To see so directly and so clearly what is possible for us. And through that understanding, to no longer believe in the institutions we have previously inhabited. In that seeing, clearly, directly, and the understanding that can come with that, the institutions of, of our beliefs really just cease to hold any power or any attraction for us. Conditioning is not a kind of knot that we have to untangle thread by thread, tracing it back into the long distant past. The end of, of conditioning is in our way of seeing when we cease to subscribe to it. In, the, in meditation, in the stillness of meditation, really I think we see the ways in which institutions are founded on a moment-to-moment -moment level. And there's an example I would like to use to illustrate this. This whole area of good and bad sittings. Now we hear all the time in meditation that there's no such thing as a good sitting and no such thing as a bad sitting. Now, everybody nods in agreement when we say, yes, there's no such thing as a good or bad sitting. Most people secretly disbelieve that. <laughs> Most people actually believe that there is such a thing as a good sitting and there is such a thing as a bad sitting and they very clearly know the difference between the two. Now, I'd like to just look at what happens through those values. You come into the meditation room. We have what is called a good sitting, in that perhaps you come in, your body might be relaxed and calm, no pain. You might find it fairly easy to focus. You might even find a little peace and happiness, you know, and there's a certain one-pointedness and your mind is not too troublesome, you know, things just come and go. 
And basically you can just flow with it. There's a sense of contentment and happiness there. Now, that doesn't go on very long before the word does come up, this is a good sitting. Before the judgment and the value actually arises that places this sitting into a particular category that says this is a good one. Now, I would just ask you to think, how do you feel about yourself when you have a good sitting? Do you feel ashamed, envious, resentful, rebellious? Probably not. Do you feel inadequate? Comparing yourself to others? Probably not. Instead, we rather tend to associate ourselves with our judgment and our value. And this was a good sitting. The implication that follows on from that is that I'm fairly good. It's the bottom line. I feel pretty good about myself. I'm pretty good at this. You know, not bad. A little praise, a little self-congratulation. The sense of who we are changes according to our judgment. This is fairly important to see. Our sense of who we are changes according to our judgments. What we are actually doing of that, of course, is that we are beginning to create a belief system about ourselves. And that belief system in itself begins, the next step, is it begins to influence how we see the world around us. Not only the present moment, but also our relationship to the past and our relationship to the future. And I say, you know, what we're talking about here is not isolated to meditation. There are other areas where this goes on. Now, in the high of this good sitting, no matter how brief it is, the belief system begins to be formed. Now, the pain and the difficulty of previous sittings and previous retreats suddenly seems very different. Even our past lives, the pain and difficulty of our, our past, suddenly is seen in a different light. It all looks, begins to look a little different to us. And we say to ourselves, you know, well, finally, I've managed to let go of my obsessiveness. All that hard work I put in has finally paid off. And everything is going to be different in the future. Our sense of possibility begins to change according to our belief systems, which have changed according to our judgments. We begin to say, well, you know, we begin to define ourselves by what we are experiencing. We think, oh, well, now I can really begin to deepen. You know, I've had this breakthrough, and now I can really begin to deepen. Maybe I ought to think of doing a long retreat, and I'm obviously cut out for this kind of work. <laughs> we st we have, what we have done, we have created an institution. We have created in that moment an institution for ourselves through holding on to particular values and particular judgments. This becomes our reference point. This institution becomes a reference point for who we are. We define ourselves by it, and we become institutionalized in that institution. And we know that is so when the next sitting, when we just can't adapt to how it has changed. 
We have become institutionalized in the institution that has been created. There is, of course, the other extreme. When you come into the meditation room and everything goes wrong from the first breath, you know, where there's restlessness and agitation, everything hurts, your body hurts, your mind hurts, you know, you can't resist opening your eyes just to envy how still everybody else is. <laughs> just so that you can really engage in a little further self-judgment and misery. Find yourself obsessing about things. And it's basically unpleasant. And the judgment, of course, the word arrives. This is a bad sitting. This is one of the bad ones. Now, again, I would ask, how do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about yourself when you have a bad sitting? Successful? Elated? Excited? Happy? Equanimous? Probably not. Instead, we have a whole range of other reactions, often panic, because we associate what is happening now with experiences from the past, and we also project those associations into the future. I'm hopeless, I can't do this, it's too much for me. I'm failing at this, just like I failed at other things before. We become very depressed and despairing. Out of our values and out of our judgments, we begin then to create a belief system about ourselves and to create an institution about who we are on the basis of our judgments and on the basis of our values. And we become institutionalized. And it seems at times very difficult to step out of this belief system. Even from this belief system, we begin to create our own personal set of rules about how we act, about how we speak, about how we approach things in our lives. Our own personal set of rules. We create our own expectations. And we create our own images on the basis of that institution. Now, the institutions which imprison our lives, they are not just the static stereotypes that you know, so many women are exposed to in their lives, and which so many women carry the burden of those static stereotypes and institutions. The institutions which imprison us are also created on a moment-to-moment -moment level, just as other institutions are created on the basis of models and expectations and shoulds, so too are our own inner institutions created on the basis of those same things, our own expectations, our own models, and our own shoulds on a moment-to-moment -moment level. Every time we grasp hold of a value and every time we grasp hold of a judgment, we are beginning in that moment to turn it into a reference point about ourselves. We are beginning to create an institution. When we can see that on a moment-to-moment -moment level, it must be clear where the possibilities of transformation actually lie. Where do we step out of institutions? Where do we stop actually being imprisoned by institutions? No place except in the moment of creating them. It cannot be any other place. Transformation 
is learning how to bring light into those shadows. To tell you a story, I have a friend who works as a lawyer in, in Massachusetts. He was working in the time when a lot of the psychiatric hospitals were closing down um, with, patients, with, with patients' rights and, and transitions. And he went to his hospital not very far from here. And he found in this hospital a young man of 24 or 25 or something. But being in the hospital, no, he was older, sorry. He was about 27, 28. He'd been about in the hospital about six or seven years. And he was on a back ward. And a back ward is basically a place where you go if people think there's no hope for you. Um, and what had happened, this young man, in, in, when, when he, some years before, had you know, been engaged in a lot of kind of socially unacceptable behavior. And he'd been arrested and he'd been committed. And because it, and, and, and also drugged. And it's, it did seem an incredible coincidence of circumstances and misfortune that actually really nobody cared about him. And actually he didn't get out. He was diagnosed schizophrenic, etc. He didn't get out. And after a time, he got less and less attention until he ended up on this back ward. Now, what had happened over the years is that basically he forgot how to talk. And he forgot how to walk. Well, and he just forgot really how to... He forgot who he was, basically, what his possibilities were. Now, when this friend of mine, this lawyer, came to work with getting this young man out, they said to him, you know, actually, you're going to go out of here. You, you're going to be free. You're actually going to go out of here. And he saw the open door and just couldn't cope with it. Like, this was just too much. You know, this whole possibility of freedom was just too much. And every day, somebody would go and work with him, and he would take one step closer to the door, and then he would go back to bed. And the next day, he would take one step closer to the door that there was so much fear of stepping out of that institution. Until one day, he actually, through this support and through his own trust, was able to step through the door. But to me, that story has made a remarkable impression because it illustrates so much that we become not only what others believe us to be, but we learn we become also what we believe ourselves to be. And how much courage and how much patience it takes to actually allow another experience to bring light into our own shadows. How much courage and patience it actually takes for us to really open to the possibility that our beliefs, no matter what, how long their history, they may not actually be true. They just may not be true. I mean, just to be able to sit with that, you know? If you've grown up in a life within a mind and a heart that has carried this baggage that says, I am not free, I am limited, I am wounded, I'm a victim, I'm fearful, I'm mistrustful, any of those words. What courage and what patience it takes to actually open to the possibility this may not be true. This may not, not be who you are at all.
What we're doing here is learning how to bring light. And sometimes people ask, you know, really, what is right attitude in meditation? What is the right approach to meditation? And sometimes I think the right approach to meditation is to begin every sitting and every walking and to end every sitting and to end every walking with the intention of having a completely forgettable sitting and walking. <laughs> that absolutely nothing is carried. How to have a completely forgettable sitting and a completely forgettable walking. This is not mindlessness. There's learning, not to how, learning how not to carry baggage. Learning how not to carry what we really do not need to carry. Learning how not to create any reference points out of anything, or any experience, or any value, or any judgment. I mean, surely a greater gift we could not have in our lives. Not to create any reference point out of anything, anywhere, inwardly or outwardly. Because if we can do that, if we can not create any reference points out of anything, anywhere, what we are doing is nurturing a constantly renewed sense of possibility and openness. Because we have nothing that we're carrying, we have nothing that we have to check back in on, we have no shoulds, we have nothing to get rid of. We just have what is. And that invites us to nurture a constantly renewed sense of possibility and openness. The ways that we create institutions on a retreat, these are not different from the ways in which we create institutions in our lives. Outwardly and inwardly, <clears throat> we see institutions do become the shadows we feel imprisoned by. Some of them have a long history, our institutions. Some of them are fairly new to us. But new or old, they end really only in the moment we are aware of them. It is necessary not to consent to them. There are times when our institutions, although we may well know that they are limiting and that they are painful, they also offer us the safety of familiarity. And this is something we need to be so careful of. Any true beginning, any real genuine re-envisioning of ourselves has its roots in a total dissatisfaction in living in the shadows of institutions. Not an immature dissatisfaction where we blame ourselves or blame anything else, but a mature dissatisfaction where we refuse to accept limitation, where we refuse to accept the lack of freedom, where we refuse to accept belief systems as being any true definition of who we are. Meditation in itself, it doesn't make any demands of us. It doesn't offer any judgments. It doesn't involve any expectations. The present moment doesn't make any demands of us. It doesn't make any judgments. What meditation and this moment offers us is an invitation to re-envision ourselves, 
reveals our possibilities for transformation, to see clearly through understanding, through our own experience, how to bring light to shadows, not getting rid of anything, not becoming anything, but not creating any reference points. It is a very rare person who never in this journey doesn't encounter moments of pain, moments of difficulty, moments of conflict and retreat in their lives. It's a very rare person who doesn't find at moments that they become locked into obsessiveness or locked into self-negation or denial. But these are our moments of possibility. These very moments truly are our moments of possibility. We can fall into very old and familiar patterns in those moments of judging, of denying, of grasping, or we can bring great openness. We can ask, are they real? Who am I amidst all of this? What are these moments revealing to us? These moments of difficulty reveal to us how we can become victims of our thoughts, our images, and our memories through grasping and believing. These moments also show to us that we can let go, not be conditioned, not be molded by not subscribing. If you consider for a moment, if you did not believe If you did not grasp hold of judgments, values, labels, and definitions about yourself, if there was no grasping, then what would all of those judgments and labels and definitions actually mean? If there was no belief in their truth, no acceptance of their reality, how would we respond to those judgments? How would we hold them? Probably just with a great deal of sensitivity and openness. They wouldn't bring darkness. They wouldn't bring any kind of shadows. They wouldn't create any kind of institutions. I am not really personally a great believer in becoming freer through time or through working things out or through perfecting ourselves. Instead, I feel it is really important for us to look at the great gift that silence and awareness actually offers to us. The gift of the possibility of very immediate transformation in our lives by no longer believing the unreal to be real. By being able to open, by being able to let go, being able to question, being able to see how much all of that just brings light where previously there has been shadows and darkness. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings abide in freedom.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.